0: Dear brown girls. <laughs> I
1: hate Hi, guys. We are your local tired brown girls.
0: I'm the other local tired brown girl. Of our duo.
1: <laughs> There's two of us. We're the two tired brown girls. We're
0: really tired.
1: <laughs> Emotionally, physically, spiritually, in every way possible. Yeah. And we've decided to make a podcast because that's what everyone's doing in quarantine. And we decided to throw our hats in. Uh, You know, hopefully it's not complete trash.
0: Yeah. um, Like my sister said, every millennial knows somebody who has a podcast.
1: And now that's going to be us. We're going to be those millennials that have one. So basically, we decided to do this. What was it? I I thought I had COVID. I didn't. But I was on isolation. And on day four of isolation, I texted you three in the morning and said, I want to make a podcast. I want it to be about woman of color, woman, particularly woman that belong to the brown community and kind of like the issues they face. And I kind of want to try and create a safe, transparent place where people can talk to each other um, and kind of build that community. And you, for some reason, agreed to do it with me.
0: Yeah. So that day I woke up at like 8 a.m., went to work at 8.45 a.m. in my living room. And I, I saw the text. There
1: were, there were a lot of typos in those texts, to be fair. I apologize for that.
0: At first, I was like, why is she texting me at 3 a.m.? But after I moved on from that, I just really liked the the essence of what we were trying to say, like creating a transparency and a productive mm-hmm. community. No, them. and
1: that's like the one word you use that really stuck with me because your first text back to me was like something along the lines of like, yeah, I totally down to do that, but only if it's productive, which is key because that's what we're trying to change because we've all all kind of already had these conversations, but they've kind of left us feeling like a little bit defeated, a little angry, um, but hopeless sometimes. So we kind of want to spin that, kind of turn it into something more positive. Also, like we're in our mid twenties now, which first of all, gross, when did that happen? But like, it's time to kind of start doing something about it I think instead of just kind of having this very like teenage mentality of just like this is what it is and it sucks and I'm just gonna be upset about it
0: yeah and we have so many different like varying experiences being women of color and brown women especially like living in different parts of the world too and we really wanted to see if like would it be possible to create a community around our differences but also like all the things that we have in common that we often don't discuss that would help us feel more unified and supported
1: it's um, sort of this lack of transparency, which unfortunately exists in like brown culture and a lot of other communities, because there's a lot of like stigma and shame around certain topics, or just a lot of concern about like, um, you know, societal perception, um, which kind of leads to these conversations either happening behind closed doors or not happening at all, actually. Um, and it kind of leaves a lot of people, I think. In where we are in our life, being, feeling kind of um, isolated, and as if their emotions or um, their feelings or their dissatisfactions with what's happening are unique to them somehow, um, which kind of makes you feel like maybe you're the only black sheep that's feeling this way, and maybe that you know you shouldn't be feeling this way, versus kind of acknowledging the universal truth that we're kind of like the first generation existence that we're going through. But dang, was it ever hard to find a name or like to decide on one? We went through, like, what, 18?
0: Yeah, there was a lot of names.
1: We asked all our friends. I sent polls to some of my family members to see what they thought. Very mixed reviews. A lot of strong opinions.
0: Eventually, we decided on calling it Dear Brown Girls because we want it to be a love letter for all the brown girls that have ever felt ostracized or
1: alone I think this is Um, the first first name we thought of And then we thought of like a hundred others And then we kind of came back to it Because like you said, it's a love letter And it kind of like has a soft spot in my heart And I think it kind of conveys What we're trying to do And you know, like you and I both are huge fans of our goddess and role model, Mindy Kaling. And in her words, I think, I don't know if she said this on a show or an interview, but she said something along the lines of like, it's really hard to be your own role model, Um, which was so hilarious, but also like struck a chord with me because I think when you're like kind of navigating new territory, you're kind of like looking for people that have had like similar experiences as you, but if no one's talking about it, if kind of have to figure it out yourself. And I mean, I think neither one of us are pretending to be role models or are saying that we're qualified by any means to be so, but uh, like maybe we can meet other girls that, you know, are qualified through this project.
0: Actually, Mindy Killing also said that her parents raised her with the entitlement of a white man and that's why she has the success that she has today. Right, And that's kind of how we're going to
1: go forward and make this podcast. <laughs> we're just going to blindly shove our way through it. Yeah, we're two tired brown girls, Pretending we're white men. And that's just the mentality we're going to go. I think we said this to each other on the text was, I don't know, it was like, again, three in the morning and I was being obnoxious about like how fun this could be. And you said something along the lines of like, I love this entitlement. And I said, yes, like, it's my new mantra. I'm just going to go through life pretending that I'm a white man and everything's going to work out and see how that works out for me.
0: Yeah, like we're not pretending to be scholars regarding this. We're definitely not experts in the fields of religion or culture or any kind of sociology But how people should feel and how they should handle like the different challenges that they face. But the main thing we want to do is have a place for these conversations so that we can speak from our experiences, especially because our experiences are so different. Like we don't know what the limits or the restrictions of what being a brown girl is. We all have very different experiences, whether you're from a diaspora, whether you're living in your native country or you know whether you're biracial there's so many different ways of being brown and we want to include those by talking more about experiences than about like religion or culture because that's not where we're coming from here
1: i think that's the beauty of like the term brown girl is like again there's no clear definition if you feel like that applies to you great and even if those aren't the words that you would use to describe yourself like if you could connect to the experiences that we're talking about then like you're part of the community um and like you said with like the whole religion culture thing, absolutely. Like we're not scholars. We're not pretending to be. Um, And the big thing is that we're not trying to like promote or like shit on a certain culture or um, a religion. Because again, that's what sometimes these conversations feel like. I was like, I just hate everything about where I come from. And that's not necessarily true. Like part of this project is we're hoping to find like the beauty in like our roots and try to kind of reconnect them in a way that feels healthy. Um, So, that's one of the challenges that we have is like when we're trying to have these conversations out in public or within our communities is that like our culture and religion are often used to kind of stifle these conversations because either it's the concern about what people are going to say or like, no, like this is what it is. This is like our religion. You can't question that. So quick disclaimer like that. We're not pushing anything either way. We're just discussing our experiences and religion and culture are going to be a part of that. Cause that's just, you know, the the reality of a lot of brown girls um and so we're just gonna talk about that as authentically as possible
0: so one of the decisions that we made was that we don't really want to be revealing like our full names or our yeah i think that's mostly it like we don't want to reveal our names and that's not like a permanent decision it's just a decision that we made firstly to give us like just the courage to say whatever the hell we want and have a totally unfiltered bullshit free honest conversation About the things that we think need more transparency. And I don't want our egos to stop us from having those honest conversations. And, like, as much as I can say, like, hey, like, I don't care what other people think of me, we can say that as much as we want, but I don't want our egos to limit the fact that, like, if I have something to contribute that I think might jeopardize something with our community or our family. Like, I don't want that to stop mm-hmm. me from having the conversation, from bringing it out there so that at least somebody else who is like, ha, yeah, has <laughs> has a lot of sound. It's like, yeah, I had a similar experience can <laughs> resonate with that at least. <laughs> it's a Freudian slip.
1: <laughs> it's all good. Her name is hot, you guys. She gave it away. All- <laughs> but I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it because what well, my big concern was by not revealing our names, is that like counterproductive to what we're doing or hypocritical. Um, But again, this is our baby, we can do it how we want to, and we want to make sure that we're comfortable doing it. So this is what we're comfortable doing for now. But yeah, so this is a love letter to our lovely Dear Brown Girls from two tired Brown girls whose names we're gonna keep seeing for now. And obviously our friends know who the heck we are. Along the same lines of like discussing um, kind of trying to create a platform for a woman of color to have voices, um, we kind of started chatting about um, the representation women of color have in media, which is kind of a hot topic right now or has been for the last few years because... People are finally starting to look around and realizing that everything's white. So it's been a nice movement. Um, We were kind of asking ourselves, like, when was the first time you saw someone that, like, looked like you um, on television or in media? Can you remember the first time for yourself? I feel like,
0: like, the first, first time, what was that show? Being Indie or something on YTV?
1: Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Are we
0: aging ourselves? That was, that was cute. I don't remember liking it that much. But I was really shocked that it was about an Indian family on, like, yeah. an American TV network.
1: I just, I, I I, think I agree with you. Like, it was it was nice to see, and you were like, oh, hey, the most brown thing about Indy was her name. Like, she was yeah. really whitewashed as a character, I think. And her name, like, I, and her name was, like, literally Indy, which I
0: was like, I've never met anybody whose name is just India, like.
1: I think her full name was Indira. Like, I think that's what her mom called her when she was angry. I know, I'm upset. They whitewashed her name even. Oh. <laughs> like, don't quote me, but I think that's what it was. She looked like a brown girl, for sure, but I don't necessarily feel like I connected with her as a character. Yeah, there was nothing, like, particularly, like,
0: representative of, like, the, kind of, the storyline or anything, but her family, apart from that they were just, like, kind
1: of stereotypically doing Indian kind of things. Because what is accurate representation? Because it looks for, different for everyone, but I think it's hard to strike a balance because I feel like you kind of get pressure from both communities, whether it's like you put a woman of color on screen and then you get an audience that doesn't necessarily want to watch it because it's not mainstream, but then you get people from our own communities kind of like shitting on that show or that representation. Cause they don't feel like it's right or accurate.
0: Yeah. And usually if it does go against like, you know, like the norm of like, like there's something about it that's a little spicy or something a little different suddenly <laughs> suddenly the community is <laughs> yeah, an right. like oh no our people would never do something like that
1: <laughs> which is so funny you're absolutely right like I think there's um recently been a show called like Remy like it's an Arab comedian yeah I've guy, heard like that. trying to make a show about like yeah about like a young Muslim guy kind of like trying to like walk the line between like his culture and the western world and Yeah, there's, like, sex and drugs involved, and everyone's really mad about it. (laughs) But I think that's what makes it hard for women of color to kind of step out and want to be representatives for their community. Because you kind of get – there's a lot of pressure on both ends. And there's, like, even the idea of, like, becoming a public figure is – in itself sometimes a taboo because like culturally in the more conservative communities or the more traditional communities, like women very much exist in like this like private home environment there's so
0: much restriction of putting us in the like the private space we shouldn't be seen in the public eye it's so like there's there's that level of hey i'm gonna become a like i'm gonna i'm gonna be representing my culture and my identity but also that i'm going to be put in a place that I've been told all my life that I shouldn't be in. So you're kind of like getting attacked from both sides.
1: Mm-hmm. When we do get representation, a lot of times it kind of feels like the same sort of stereotypes um coming out, like the victim or like quiet brown girl or um kind of like an extension of a story for a brown man versus like their story themselves, um, or kind of just, told through a very like westernized almost offensive lens i think god the other day i saw a clip on instagram i have never heard of this show and i'm never gonna watch it now but it's like some like private school these kids are in like uniforms and there's a hijabi there and i was like cool like i love seeing hijabis on screen and then this chick takes her like white boyfriend to some like closet and starts taking her hijab off i almost vomited in my mouth it was like so offensive on so many levels because it's like you finally put a hijabi on screen and this is what you're doing with her like come on or even if you're not doing stupid shit like that like just the hijabs like I don't know who they're getting to style these hijabs but they're atrocious (laughs) they look like swim caps half the time yeah, they're frankly so ugly. So bad. Yeah. Oh my god! And it's like <laughs> the so- only,
0: the only reason you're gonna put a hijabi on there is to defile her, like and show her without her hijab. <sighs> like, if there's any way to get outside of like that, ugh. kind of fe- like the fetishization, it it's was, like you can't escape it.
1: It was so gross, um, and it was just like circulating on Instagram. It was very upsetting to see because I think, like, hi- like hijabis have been. Again, because that's like, I think the ultimate, like, I mean, that's a whole other topic, but hijabis especially are kind of like, like privatize their identities or sexuality. So you never see them on screen and then you do. And then you see them like this. It's really discouraging. There's lots of people
0: that were, or lots of women that were hijab in society and they are just living their day-to-day lives. Like instead of normalizing them, it just makes them like a weird, like a sexual object. So it's even like, it's literally putting us, like taking us back two steps.
1: So it's it's hard to find someone that like you feel like accurately re- represents you or, you know, like you feel you kind of connect to. And I think we all actually like I don't know about you, but I also have my internal biases. So like going back to the love of our lives, Mindy Kaling, like um, seeing her on screen was so fun. like I think she's been around for a while, but like she first got big on um, The Office where she was wildly successful and um, kind of played this like ditzy character. And then she got her own show. And that show very much like revolved, like it was very much like a typical kind of rom-com kind of show that are already on the screen, but it was different because the, the lead now looked completely different than what we're used to. And I remember like watching that show and kind of getting to a point where I was kind of being hypercritical of this main character because I, I was I was doing the same thing our community is like passing our own judgments. Like I realized that I wouldn't have the same criticisms if it wasn't Mindy, if it wasn't like, a brown girl like if it was some like random white actress I would just let the show be what it is which is just like a silly like fun rom-com um instead of like putting so much judgment into it so it's, there's a lot of the internal bias that we have to work through as well
0: yeah you've and she's just been yeah. here this whole time like not being white not being like you know the ideal body type or whatever she's not stick thin she's cute and she's not also not just an actor she's a writer the Mindy Project was her own show. I think that's the reason, like, we just <laughs> unashamedly, like, admire and just are obsessed mm-hmm. with her because she is pretty amazing. And she's also talked about how hard it is to be a role model. Mm-hmm. And I thought I just criticized her initially and I felt bad for her. But, like, seeing that, like, you kind of had the same initial reaction and we had to scale ourselves back mm-hmm. and be like, why are we doing mm-hmm. this? I-, I feel
1: bad. Mm-hmm. And, like, if we're doing it as girls that grew up – um here, you know, in the Western world, went to school here, we're exposed to all sorts of things here. Um, Of course, like the older generation is going to do it even more harshly. Um, So it's something that you actively have to work on, like take your first initial biases and question them and ask yourself, like, would you do the same thing if this wasn't a woman of color, if this was just, you know, a white woman, would it be more acceptable? It's like, I guess it's like, I don't know. I can watch a Hollywood movie and they'll be making it on screen. And I'm like, this is cool. And then like, you watch a Bollywood movie and they so much as like breathe on each other. And I'm like, gross. Stop. I'm going to vomit. This is outrageous. <laughs> yeah. You got to like revert your eyes. <laughs> it's, it's too much. It's weird. <laughs> and yeah, then like, speaking of like Bollywood, that's a huge media platform we have full of like brown girls, but I don't, it's, it's rom-coms again, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. I mean often even in Bollywood
0: like the usually the perspective of the story is like 80% of the time is the Definitely. man's perspective. Like I it's rare that you get a female narrator or the story doesn't revolve around her love interest, but so like it doesn't really do a lot for like making us feel empowered and actually represented in our daily lives, especially cuz like they're just breaking out into song all the time,
1: <laughs> which I love. Which is that really yeah, unrealistic <laughs> expectations for my own life.
0: Not to mention, like, a lot of the expectations that Bollywood sets up, like, like most of the stories revolve around, like, falling in love and, you know, like, meeting significant other mm-hmm. and, going, like, usually adventure or that kind of stuff. Like, most of them are just love stories, mm-hmm. but, like... We're okay with that when we're, you know, it's when it's a Bollywood movie, but in our own lives, we've got, like, to deal with arranged marriages or other kinds of issues. Like, that whole hypocrisy there where, like, I'm expecting to get a Bollywood love story with singing and dancing, and then I'm supposed to settle for an arranged marriage is, like, (laughs) pretty heartbreaking when you turn 16. (laughs) I think it's funny. Often, a lot of, like, Western representation of brown women or just, like, brown culture, like, a lot of it is pretty... Like, pretty stereotypical and doesn't help, like, that Instagram trailer or whatever that you <laughs> saw. But sometimes it's, like, it, it's almost, it's often a little more realistic than brown, like, Bollywood movies have ever tried to be. That it, like, hurts more when you see it. <laughs> and so we criticize it more often, too.
1: I think, to be fair, I was just thinking, I think there have been a few movies in the last few years that have been a little bit, like, more woman-centered. Still very much revolving around, like, the love and the marriage trope. Um, but, like, I think it's just the one I'm thinking off the top of my head. Like, Queen, about, like, this... I think she gets left at the altar, something along those lines. It kind of like goes off and has an adventure by herself, um, which like unheard of. But so I think we are moving in the right direction, just at a, like a glacial pace.
0: I remember watching Queen with my mom, and she was so, like, n- not spoilers, but there's some non brown men that are potential love <gasps> interests in that what? movie. But like, my mom was like was like scandalized by it but later she was super into it she was like oh
1: they're pretty cute and I was like did you just call a white guy cute this is what we're trying to do break those barriers man and you're absolutely right sometimes I think like these conversations or having this kind of representation in media can kind of help you realize like interesting things about maybe your parents or the people in your life that you wouldn't have realized because you're kind of able to analyze these Situations from like kind of a fantasy point of view, so the stakes are less high because you're not applying them to your life or your daughter's life. So you're able to kind of more freely express your opinions, and sometimes it's it can be a catalyst to some very interesting conversations where it's like, so what? Like you are cl- like seeing the story where you're all for this character like going on these adventures and falling in love, but that why is that not fair for someone to do in real life? And it just like leads to like I find especially with my
0: family at least like these conversations that I'm like. I'm like,
1: hmm, I wonder if I could use this to my advantage later on. Wow, did we just do a 180 on Bollywood? Is Bollywood actually amazing?
0: (laughs) Well, we're just talking about Queen. Let's not make any generalizations like we've been doing about Bollywood earlier.
1: So I think the nice thing about the day and age that we're living in is that with like our smartphones and social media, there's lots of different sort of platforms for representation that exist now that aren't necessarily mainstream, that aren't being controlled by producers or writers. Um, like whether it's on TV shows or movies, like people can go out and create platforms solely by themselves and represent themselves how they want to. So whether that's on Instagram or YouTube, and that's where honestly, that's where I'm kind of seeing the representation that I connect to and want to see
0: a lot of the things that we that actually like reminds me a lot of things that we were complaining about earlier like whether it's like the fetishization of the hijab or like you know lots of like like muslims being terrorists on tv or all you see about hindus are just like yogis and like all the namastes that you hear when you're looking at like yoga commercials but i think like like we see all that stuff and there's so much behind those decisions like they can't they can't talk about Like lots of of Western mainstream media can't really have those conversations that are nuanced because it hurts their primary audience, which is like white people that don't give a shit about having this kind of inclusion. Right. So with with like like Instagram or YouTube and that kind of stuff, there's so much like we just like lift the voices that are more clear, more nuanced and just more representative of actual experiences instead of whatever people think like brown people are actually like.
1: So I guess doing full circle to our podcast, your brown girls, this is sort of us throwing our hat in the ring in terms of like representation. Um, where yes, like we're moving in the right direction. There's some representation on um, mainstream media or social media, um, and now it's now it's in podcast form. Um, but but more so like we want to cater to the conversations we want to have that are a little bit maybe more serious, a little bit more raw, um, a little bit more taboo even. And we can do that because again, this is kind of a small platform that we're starting off from. It's just us. And if anyone wants to join in and listen, it's, and feel like they are making a connection to what we're saying, then great. But it kind of takes the pressure off of kind of like, you know like we don't have a certain we're not trying to like make money off of this or we don't have a certain agenda that we're pushing aside from just um wanting to create a community where we can feel less alone I guess and like I mean
0: as of recording this our audience is currently zero so like we're not worried at all about satisfying any kind of audience so we're just going to talk about whatever whatever we want to
1: and the thing is like you and I genuinely enjoy having these conversations the goal is to not have high blood pressure by the end of them. I think that's kind of what we're trying to shift is kind of like come out of them feeling a little bit more positive, but we, yeah, you and I like genuinely enjoy talking about these things. And I think um, I like learn a lot from what you have to say, because you often have very different perspectives. Um, and I think that that's what kind of, if nothing else comes out of it, there's that.
0: Yeah. And I seem to, I often come out really angry and You make me a little more optimistic about it.
1: (laughs) No one has ever said that about me, so thank you. (laughs) No one has ever said that I make them feel more optimistic, so wow. Beautiful things coming out of this already. (laughs) We're thinking we're going to go
0: into the mind space of white man entitlement. We want to discuss our wildest dreams and... I mean, our wildest, wildest dream is to meet Minnie Kaling and have her be like, your podcast is great. Yeah,
1: this is all we're trying to do here.
0: <laughs> we want you to hear us, but we don't want this to be a one-sided us just speaking and talking about our perspectives. And we really would love getting feedback and having that conversation, especially about the different experiences that other brown girls with all the different definitions are brown girls and all the different experiences that we're having can bring into us because that will help change our perspective maybe make us a little less jaded a little more excited and (laughs) feel a little more (laughs) a little more together
1: Uh, yes that would be the dream (laughs) so yeah um, from your local tired brown girls to you dear brown girls we're really excited for this project to be something positive and exciting and we hope to hear from you soon
0: Coming up next time on Dear Brown Girls,
1: the show that everyone is talking about, Netflix's Indian Matchmaking, which for me personally is bringing up a lot of trauma.
0: That means you're going to have a lot of anecdotes to tell us, right?
1: Unfortunately, the stories after stories after stories of just complete bullshit within the Rishnah system. (laughs) That being said... (laughs) That being said, part of the show discusses the positives of the Rista system. So, you know, there's something to be said about that.
0: Yeah. And in general, there's just so much for us to unpack here. We've got how women and men are treated differently in the Rista system. You're going to have a lot to say about that as well, I guess. (laughs) So much. (laughs) But also, why would people willingly choose arranged marriage? For me, it's always been something that has felt like it's been forced upon me. So I'm like, why are people actually choosing it on their own?
1: And, and what arranged marriage looks like in the modern world, you know, it's not like you get thrown in the back of a truck and told you're being sent to your new home, which is really what some people think of arranged marriage. Um, so, you know, like as traumatizing as watching the show was, I to some degree appreciate um, Netflix kind of bringing this whole part of our lives to the forefront so other people can kind of see what it's like. Um, and mostly I just want to bitch about Aparna.
0: Whoa, I love Aparna. I would die for her.
1: Okay. That's a very strong statement, but I look forward to hearing you defend that. So yeah, if you want to listen to us bitch about that and more, tune in next time. On Dear Brown Girls.